Hello and welcome to the show. Tonight I made my return to, quite frankly, caught up with my friend Frank, who of course filled in for Blonde when her daughter was born two years ago. It was great to catch up about family and fatherhood, but what else made this segment notable is we were live while the news of the Trump raid broke, so there's plenty of discussion about that, plus recap of Sunday's discussion with Robert Barnes on the Alex Jones trial as well. If you like what you hear, and I hope that you will, check out my friend Frank's show, Quite Frankly, at quitefrankly.tv. The show is available almost everywhere you find your videos or your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Well, Moonglow, now listen, I got a little something here. I was going to do one thing to start the show off before I got Matt Christensen on, but uh, might as well jump into this now because it's breaking all over the place. Donald Tr- uh, Trump says the FBI has raided Mar-a-Lago. One of the things I was going to ask Matt Christensen tonight is uh, whether or not he believes, or what he believes, the... October surprise is going to be because you know Democrats have nothing they have nothing but lying and screeching and um, and of course falsely uh, framing entrapping they're terrible people and all of their Republican colleagues are too but um, this has been pretty apparent to me that they are going to try to at least indict or arrest Donald Trump prior to October for that to be the surprise when Joe Biden and his son should have been taken in two Octobers ago. Should have been taken in right off the bat. Um, but what do we have here? What do we have here? I might as well just read this. You know what? I might as well just read this. Um, I might as well do this with Matt Christensen on the show. Why not? I mean, it's breaking at this point. We should just do it. Hey, Matt, are you there? I am, yeah. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, hold on a second. Let me get to... I wasn't going to pull you in this uh, this soon, but you know what? I, I looks like we have to. Everybody, welcome Matt Christensen to the show. It's so great to have you back on here again, man. How's everything been with you and the family? Oh, I'm great. And thank you for the kind words. Uh, not overly emotional, I think, is a very kind compliment. Something I aim for, so I appreciate that. The other thing is... Uh, man, here I thought I was going to be able to come onto your show and hijack this breaking news. Oh, I don't know if Frank has seen it. Mar-a-Lago Radio. And then, you know, a minute before I join. You Why don't you report on I mean, I have two things. I have two <laughs> things that are that were posted on the front page of the Drudge Report right now. I have the Washington yeah. Examiner and uh, the Washington Times. Uh, what have you read so far? Do you want to you read? Do you want me to start? We can go paragraph by well, paragraph. I'm looking at the only report that matters, and that, of course, is straight from CNN.com. But it's about uh, it's three paragraphs, and all it says is the FBI executed a search warrant on Monday at Mar-a-Lago. Trump declined to say why the FBI agents were there, but he did say that they even broke into his safe. Uh, quote, Trump, my beautiful home Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, is currently under siege, raided and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. Uh, Agents, And they're just referencing the statement that he released on Truth Social. So as far as I'm aware, there isn't more information than that. 
He says, Trump in the statement, nothing like this has ever happened to a president of the United States before. After working and cooperating with the relevant, uh, with the relevant government agencies, this, un- uh, this unannounced raid on my home was not necessary or appropriate. It is prosecutorial misconduct, the weaponization of the justice system, and an attack by the radical left Democrats who desperately don't want me to run for president in 2024. I was going to ask you about this later on in the discussion that we were going to have tonight, Matt, about what you think the October surprise was going to be. And it is, it's been clear with Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Greene and Madison Cawthorn, while he was still relevant before he kind of torpedoed himself, um, that the, the biggest play that they were going to really focus in on with their most dangerous opposition was the play of disqualification and they obviously that's what they want to try to do here yeah i think that's a fair read i I don't know i've never been good at predicting the next moves i remember um god it was right after the second or no it was after the uh the first impeachment when that failed we were sitting around on our stream thinking okay what's the next thing rolling into 2020 what's what's the next thing what are they going to do this time we floated a whole bunch of ideas of course uh multi-year virus that would upend just about everything was not uh accurately predicted but i think that's the only prediction you can make safely is that there's going to be some kind of wrench thrown into it obviously i don't know if i if i was great at predicting their next move i'd i don't know I, I I can't. I, I have no I have no great foresight on that. I just know there's going to be meddling, obviously. I just wonder what the hell this is in particular. I obviously will will know soon. If it is an August raid, I'd have to imagine that's going to set them up for some sort of a September uh or October play on whatever they think that they're acquiring. But to even raid a safe Jeez. Jeez. I yeah. I, I, I I wonder what the warrant read. How the warrant read must have been incredible. The D, but the DOJ, uh, have you and Blonde been talking in particular about the, the, the personalities running the DOJ right now? Well, that's funny you say that because we were just talking last night about the, uh, the moderate, by-the-book, man-of-principle Merrick Garland. He can't be described as anything else. But we were talking about how he's going after um, several police officers in the Breonna Taylor case. And they're not the, the officers who raided her. Uh, they are officers who... Uh, took part in securing the warrant for that raid. And what Merrick Garland is ostensibly all upset about is they falsified information uh, when they went after that warrant. And so on principle, I've been told that the DOJ takes a strong stance against any kind of funny business with warrants. We'll we'll see what sort of funny business may or may not exist on this Mar-a-Lago warrant. I will, you know, from that same, that very same, even keel, responsible man of the law, as you were, you were just saying before. I forgot all of the, the glowing reviews you gave him right there. But he was, he was for him to have said on several occasions that he and a team, a team of lawyers, have been watching this, this January sixth thing, with bated breath and you know at the edge of their seat, popping the popcorn and and thinking about what they can do. Uh, on a prosecutorial level, it's it's pretty serious. And as I said before, um, I don't know your take on this because I've, it comes up every so often on the show. I haven't covered the actual hearings, but the fact that they're going on is a very, very important thing for people to realize w- what it's all about. And it's about weaponizing the infrastructure that they made after 9-11 and pointing it inward to us, in inward toward us officially, that we are now the terrorists. And... Um, 
and and it's about making anybody who walks even slightly parallel or alongside in lockstep with uh, Donald Trump on any even moderate issue, it's going to put them in a category that can only be described as terroristic, I'd have to imagine. That's how they're really trying to pigeonhole us all. Yeah, and if any of that stuff is going to be weaponized for electoral purposes, I, I had thought that if Merrick Garland had the goods to bring a charge through the January 6th committee, he he wouldn't wait on that. He would jump on that. The second he could do it, he probably would. But maybe the miscalculation in that thinking is uh, the timing is key. Uh, they have to uh, they have to make sure that it is maximized for some sort of electoral usefulness. And maybe back in the spring, it's not as useful as say as it as it is. Uh, now in August or rolling into the fall? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we're just going to have to see. I mean, this is very, this is fresh news. So I don't know if anything gets added onto this in the next couple of minutes. But you know, I was reading uh, to get to get off topic and and uh, and kind of reset ourselves here. Before I, I was going to come on here, I was reading this Reddit post. I, it was all screenshots. Ever since my subreddit got taken down i just i deleted the app i don't even want to have anything to do with it anymore but um i was reading these screenshots that were sent to me of a european who was visiting la matt and for the first time said they they were shocked and they really need to vent about what they saw and when they when they went to la they are saying this i'll read you a little bit of the first one i'm visiting la and for the first time as i'm attending a scientific con- con- conference this week honestly i'm shocked i did not expect this let me start by saying positive things americans are remarkably friendly many people go out of their way for you and all blah blah they're, they're very warm conversations many young people are progressive uh... they want a better world and they're volunteering and blah 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 now goes on to the acts absolute di- disarray the the people just all over the place. You don't know if they're just stoned or dead. There's just shit all over the place, literal shit. And I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, and at the end, of course, they say, how did it come this far? Are these problems specific to L.A., or does this, does this provide me an image of all American cities? And it's so funny because they ask, you know, well, people are so progressive, but why is everything so messed up? The answer's in the question, of course, but it made me think about you because hmm. this is part of the reason why we hear about these exoduses from L.A. and everywhere else into places like Idaho, into places like Montana. And I was wondering if, if you have seen firsthand any kind of this, uh, this intrusion from the big cities yet. Oh, yeah. They've, they've turned my county blue. Uh, oh, it's like have, that. Oh, oh, oh yeah. We have, uh, we have a lot of representation on, say, county and city government, um, in, particularly in Bozeman and Gallatin County. Uh, people who are of that mindset, you know, that uh, the only thing that matters is the uh, demographics on these boards and the results that they achieve are secondary concerns, that type of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it, they, they, they haven't, by no means have they taken over the state of Montana. Our, our state government is actually quite good, uh, and I think it might get even better uh, as we get through this next election. But specific locales, basically, as far as I can tell, what they do is they leave the place that they ruined and they move to, they don't move out to the sticks, generally. They move to one of the bigger cities, and by Montana standards, Bozeman at 50,000 is one of the bigger cities. And they just, they start over there, and I think it's the same sort of thing that you just referenced where, okay, it couldn't be that my worldview and ideology have flaws, it must be that there was some intervening factor back in L.A. or New York or wherever I came from. Something else got in the way. It must have been Putin. It must have been, you know, whatever, whatever 
threw a wrench in the plan. And so, yeah, they come in and they vote for uh, for the last five. I mean, I've I've been living in Bozeman for ten years now. Last five years, especially, I have not seen a tax increase on the ballot be rejected. It does not matter what the tax increase is for. It must be good if it's a tax increase. It mm. must pay for something worthwhile. And um, yeah, it's frustrating. And and what's what's frustrating for people who've been in communities like mine. Uh, obviously, you got people coming. You have two things: the, the market reality just increase the co- uh, increases the cost of living. It's a high demand area, so if you want to get an apartment or a home, very very tough. But it's even tougher when people vote for every tax increase they've ever seen, and it just makes it it, uh, it makes it um, not obtainable by mm-hmm. uh, for people who have lived here for a long time, or for people who you know may not have the coastal money. And what's even more frustrating, there are a lot of cases of uh, of like family property owners around here who have had property in their family for generations being priced out by the property tax alone. You know, who owns the property? Do you own it, or do, or does the government, and specifically now, the coastal influx who has control of that government, do they, do they uh, actually own it, and can they price you out of your your grandpa's farmland? Oh, you see a lot of that going on. So I know that you, I, I heard that you mentioned, um, or we were discussing privately, at least you've finished Yellowstone. Um, the themes of Yellowstone are very much real. Obviously, uh, John Dutton is dramatized, but the themes of that influx and the destruction of an old way of life are very much real. And it's happening in this locale, but it's happening kind of all over uh, a lot of rural parts of America. You know what you got to read? I don't know if you've read this yet, uh, Matt, but there is John Rappaport. He put together on his Substack. I read this on my show maybe, I don't know, two months. It might, it might have been back in May or something. And he says this. This was back in May 12th. He published this. Why I've been writing about Yellowstone at Substack. And he he really jumps into, it, it's really just wonderful how how he, he puts into frame what it, it's all about and all the different types, the, the levels of involvement there from state government, federal government, the city slickers that come in and do their thing. I mean, from a, from a standpoint, first of all, when you said Bozeman and 50,000 and that being a big city, I think about my little village over here. We are two square miles, Matt, and um, we have unofficially, officially, unofficially, over 70,000 people in this, in this village. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible. Um, it's just incredible. And the lack of representation, like we talk about the Constitution and how it's pretty much moot at this point, but your, I mean, that city of Bozeman would ha- should have one and a half representatives in, this, in, in the, uh, the House alone. 30,000. That's what was prescribed by the framers. And it's just, it goes so far by the wayside. And we do the same thing with the spending here, too. Um, we have an Im- illegal immigration problem. You probably have a big city slicker problem, and the Starbucks crowd is coming in. Is that really pretty much what's going on? Yeah, there's some. Uh, we're right on I-90, so you get some of the drug trafficking. There's some of that. Uh, we actually had an illegal immigrant commit a a murder in town, uh, like within the last month. And this is a town that has maybe one per year, maybe one every other year, as far as uh, cases of murder. Hmm. I don't know exactly what happened. Uh, I, I think it was a case of an illegal immigrant killing another illegal immigrant. But um, obviously, we're a northern state. We don't have. We're not facing the brunt of uh, the border wave or something like that. But because we're on a major east-west thoroughfare, we do get some of uh, some of that. But you're right. It 
the problems here are mostly created by people fleeing that sort of situation uh, only to do their best attempt at recreating it once they arrive. Yeah. Yeah. And um, over here, as you were saying, how you're getting priced out of family. I thought that this would be a place where our families would always be. And I know some people leave the north just because they can't take the winters anymore. But other than that, it's really so much more that you have a town full of do-gooders that are always voting yes on $80 million school bonds that they're trying to expand these old schools to accommodate for the influx of illegal immigrants and their children. And uh, and from there, it's it, we're, we're just in debt. And because they're they're running out of money over here, they keep approving all these huge building projects. So all these huge residential buildings are coming in for young professionals, they call them. And all they're thinking about is each building is going to bring in at least a million dollars of taxes that we're going to have to offset because we're, we're, we're no cash poor now. But now we're overcrowded. So it's, uh, it's such a horrible thing. And I see this kind of thing happening all over the country in different ways customized to, you know, the, the location. Montana, New York. Um, who, who the hell knows where it's going next, man? How's your family, though? Oh, we're great. Yeah, uh, our son is... Uh almost a year old he'll be one year on the second is he walking yet so very very close he just got a new toy today like a like a a horse that you can saddle up on and kind of scoot around on or you can use it as a like a walker you know yep so i i mean he he likes to stand up on things climb on things he doesn't need a lot of uh assistance but the the actual steps are not are not quite there yet, so just a little bit off. Oh, when, when he's when they're at that point, you are so close. It's gonna be great. Yeah. It really is. He's got the uh, jack o' lantern teeth coming in. You know, like the two top. The two yes. Bottom. You oh, know what great. I did? Yeah. You know what I did? I I it was I don't know when it was that uh, Aurora's two bottom teeth came in, but when I saw her first te- tooth come in, I was drinking my coffee. It was in the morning. I was in the back porch, and she was just you know crawling around and stuff. So I put her on my lap, and I put the coffee mug. The styrofoam mug up to her mouth, and I told her, "I said, bite, bite," and she 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 bit down on it, so I can get the imprint of her too. And we still have this yeah. little piece of styrofoam, a clipped <laughs> clipped on our refrigerator with that little scrape from her tooth. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah little things. I, I don't have the first bite. I've lost that memory. Oh, you're screwed. But that's the th- it's gone. that's the thing you kind of realize too is um. It all happens so fast. I know that's a cliche thing to say, but now once you're in it. You know, you hear your parents say things like that. or, But once you're in it, uh, you realize, okay, that little development, that thing that happened yesterday, that's now gone. And, mm-hmm. and that first year, I, I, I guess I don't know what's to come in the future years, but that first year really strikes me. Is that, little, that little first thing, it's here in a flash and it's gone. So you, you really got to take the time to experience it and enjoy it. It's a little existential crises along the way. Yeah. Little, little existential crises along the way where you realize, oh, this is so precious. And as soon as you, you uh, understand what's happening, you, you, you just feel it drift into the past. And, and yeah. it's just whatever. And every picture you take, you realize that's gone. That's gone. That's gone. But you know the good yeah. thing about you, you and Lily? You're going to actually be able to keep the teeth. So forget about the first bite. <laughs> You'll be able to collect the teeth soon. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let me ask you about this. Um, you just had Robert Barnes on to talk about the Jones Alex Jones trial. I think 
we're getting closer to having him on on another show that I do, but and I wasn't able to watch yours yet, but I'm I'm fascinated uh, about this trial from a free speech perspective and and as far as American jurisprudence and what the hell it this is and isn't. What was the most important things you took away from this talk with Barnes and Alex Jones? Yeah, if anybody's interested in all the really specific legal technicalities, I would certainly recommend Robert Barnes because um well, he's the one guy, whether you agree with him or not, he's the guy that has all the knowledge of all of these technicals and knows that trial front to back. When you look at your typical news coverage, I don't mean even you know your mainstream sources or whatever. It's just it's glossing over a ton of information that's that's really crucial and relevant. But I think for um, you know for for guys like you and me and and people who are in our communities, the the biggest concern is exactly what you hit on. It's it's the boundaries between what is considered free speech and what's considered uh, defamation, or in this case, the intentional infliction of emotional distress. And watching from afar, I was under the assumption that Alex Jones had said something like, "Those, like this specific Sandy Hook parent is a crisis actor. Okay, you make a specific false claim about a specific person that is damaging to them. That... As far as I understand, and again, um, I, m- I may need to be corrected on some of this stuff because I have not filed the trial front to back, but that's why I was talking to Barnes. There really isn't a specific claim like that. There are broad-level claims about a class, like, say, maybe this group of people, I think they are crisis actors, or I think this is fake. But to, but to cross that boundary and to say, like, a broad-level opinion about a group of people is sufficient to hold you liable for, in this case, tens of millions of dollars to be paid out to a specific individual who, again, as far as I understand, Alex Jones did not reference specifically by name. We're really blurring that line between what is a specific false claim about a person that damages them, hmm. like a defamatory claim, my question or too. even a sort of a, hara- a point of harassment where you you cause them emotional distress, to just, I have a broad-level opinion about a news event that is counter to what the official story is or you know it may be outright false but that's really what i was hoping to understand with barnes is this is still america as matters of opinion you're allowed to have wrong opinions too and the second that we're all liable for wrong opinions i mean that that is the end of not just your ability to speak on the internet that's that's teetering on the end of your ability to think freely within your own mind at that point and that this is really really dangerous stuff and um and so it it was a it was a good productive conversation with him i i uh i'm glad we had it because i thought that there were i just thought it was much more specific i thought he had said things that were much more clearly defamatory and i just don't see it that's why I, i was trying i whatever i have done right now to catch up is uh is try to just double and triple check on that fact did he was their names named and I keep getting no and if that's the case I mean how many times has anybody that doesn't vote Democrat been group slandered or group defamed whether it be you know deplorables white you know white supremacist I, I remember the uh, somebody from the week or one of those ridiculous blogs that that masquerades as a uh, a news outlet had made it was an opinion piece about how um, the Fourteenth Amendment or something should be invoked uh, to to disqualify all Trump voters because a vote for Trump 
is a vote for white supremacy and the suppressing of civil rights for people of all of their special groups and all that stuff. And I'm saying, so there is a blanket statement right there that there is, there's no other reason to, I mean, and uh, I've brought up a couple of times, why isn't Bernie Sanders on trial for the Republican softball team almost getting uh, massacred? Why? I don't, I don't, uh, Merrick Garland and the FBI, they have been, uh, they have been slandering us for how long? No names have been named. So I don't I don't understand this at all. Did Barnes tell you anything about the cap, whether or not there is a cap on the the, the rewards that need to be paid? Because we didn't get into that. I did ask him about the prospects for appeal, and uh, he said that on paper it's a great appeal case because, in his view, I mean, you name the Bill of Rights right, and Alex Jones had it violated in his analysis, or there's an Alex Jones exception according to this uh, courtroom and this judge. In that case, but I didn't get into the cap specifically. He, he, it, from what I understand, it sounds like he's not optimistic on the appeal, not because the appeal doesn't have merit, but because it still has to go through the court system in Austin, who is not going to be very kind to that appeal. Now, I don't know if it could still be appealed to, say, the Texas Supreme Court or even the U.S. Supreme Court. I don't know all of that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he made it sound like as long as it remains in Austin, this sort of, um, this sort of abuse is going to stick. Oh, where do we go from here? We got this. It's, it's, it's interesting that you bring up the voting point too, because one of the things I asked him was, uh, if I what if there's any principle separating what happened to Alex Jones, say from uh, if you remember uh, a month ago or so, there was that ten year old abortion case. Yes, and I was fascinated by that case before the news that it was the product of you know uh, an illegal immigrant boyfriend. Uh, and all of that, uh, I thought it was totally fake. It just the, it did not add up. The evidence seemed like it's, it was another made-up story to support uh, you know, pro- a progressive policy agenda. I called it fake. I had to come back and say, okay, I guess it's not fake. Here's, let's correct the record. But I asked Barnes, it, under these principles, is there anything saying that, say, that family or that abortionist doctor, could she then come after me and, and sue me for intentional infliction of um, emotional distress. And he said, oh, absolutely. To bring back to the point that you made, I hadn't thought of that because I know it sounds crazy, but while we're making, while we're doing defamation and emotional distress by inference or through a leap, how far is it to say, well, a vote for Donald Trump or any insurrectionist candidate that they want to declare that way that, that that is an endorsement of the insurrection. Therefore you are liable to, liable for causing emotional distress to say the Capitol police or the families of the Capitol police or something like that. Uh, I know that that's a little far beyond what happened to Alex Jones, but the point is what's happening to Alex Jones is a step beyond what our defamation and our emotional distress standards are. I don't, as I said with Barnes, the the most foolish thing you could possibly uh, do is think that these people get Alex Jones and then, wipe their hands and say, oh, we got them. All right. Nobody left to get. We've, we were satisfied. We, uh, we've had our fill, and we're going home. And they, the, the lawyers said as much at the trial, we want to get him and everyone like him. I'm paraphrasing. But they, they outright said it at the trial. We want to get people like him. Guess who that is? Yeah, tens of millions. That, I mean, that, there's nothing. There's nothing different between uh, different between Alex Jones in their eyes and tens of millions of people that they just want to neutralize. And it's 
it's I mean it all it's all I guess um par for the course with them. They have been just I I don't know laundering tens of billions of dollars over to Ukraine and there you have over there the Ukrainian government uh, led by the um the puppet Zelensky. What are they doing? They they have completely banned all opposition parties and and, and in media and everything. So you're talking about you're talking about just across the board making broad sweeping strokes against what is accepted and and as you said right there too yeah Alex Jones would be a big fish and they've got a hard on for him but it's really about creating a precedent and yeah. if they can go and they can beat up on Donald Trump while he's still in office what the hell is happening to little people all over the country especially now that they have they're they're putting out almost a a new 100,000 man army of auditors for the IRS, that's going to go out there. I'm just. This is just. It's really. It's really oh, sick. Oh no, that's. They're only going after monopoly men. <laughs> of course, it's, it's only the big rich boogeyman they're going to go get. Not not anybody of normal modest means. Which I, I was listening to what you were saying before I I joined, and yeah, I I agree on the point in general. I understand people have this thirst i suppose oh that rich guy over there he owes me something he should have his property taken to to purchase something for me on principle why do we support these things as though there's any comfort in saying oh we're hiring we're hiring an army of henchmen for the federal government but don't worry they're only going after my neighbor well even if that's true for now uh, as is the case with Alex Jones, once they get your neighbor, they still have a job to do, don't they? And uh, you're still out there, and they still have uh, people to catch. So that means they're coming for you next once they're done with the first guy. Well, they know they also know how to justify their budgets, Matt. And this is the reason the the reason why this is getting exceedingly concerning for people like me and and a lot of people in the audience. And that is when you when you follow the the kind of color revolution model that they have been really overplaying and, and honing and, and re, repackaging, uh, uh, repackaging over the last few generations in different parts of the world ever since they launched Operation Gladio after World War II. It's all coming home now. This, um, this, this creating local and civil discord in places like Asia and the, and the you know, Central and South America and all over the Middle East and the Arab Spring and all of that, we are seeing it now in the U.S. And when you have the FBI and the DOJ, the IRS, everybody working together to pretty much criminalize opposition to the ruling class, which is supposed to be a, uh, a bottom-up representative government, quote-unquote, that's, that's a real problem here. And I, I think that uh, when people say they're setting us up for civil war, I think that the, most people will, will, if you're an American, you go to blue versus gray, battle lines, north versus south. We've got the Mason-Dixon line, and that's our divider. Uh, it's not going to be like that, uh, but th they are setting us up for some real nasty local um, confrontations, I should say, especially confrontations between state and federal government, because many states yeah. are going to set, stand up for their citizens and there's going to be a, a struggle for supremacy. And who the hell knows where it goes? I mean, they, they, they want this. In the chaos, they can continue working. But if there is no chaos, they, they know that they, they're working inside of a house of cards here. Well, that's why we have to get you out to Montana. There's plenty of wilderness in which you can hide in such a scenario. But uh, on the other side of it, you know, the, the, the question is how, 
how far do you want to flee and how long are you willing to hide? Yeah. And I, I'm not a confrontational per, uh, person by nature. I just, you know, I, I don't, it, I'm fundamentally a leave me alone and I leave you alone kind of person by nature. So if I don't like it here, mostly I'm fine and inclined to go set up shop somewhere else where I do like it. The trouble is, though, to your point, uh, how long is that trail going to be chased? And I'm convinced it's to the end of the earth. And and I don't know I don't know exactly what to do about that. Um, and whenever I hear you know, people like you who are in New York or you're in California, we we have uh, a lot of people in our audience too who who we talk to who wonder: Is it better to flee where I am, or is it better to stay and fight for the place that I've lived my entire life? And I've always thought, well, if you don't like it there, you know, I know you've had a long time connection to it, but go set up shop somewhere else. But what, what's the point of doing that if they just chase you to that point and you have the same confrontation? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like we tend to think that like, oh, New York and Montana are so drastically different in that way. Not really, man. Not really. Like the people who are finishing up ruining that part of the country, they just they pack up and they they head west or they head into some other rural area to to do it to the next spot. And, and I don't I don't know what to do about that. It, it does make me worry for the future. Well, not only that, but if you've ever seen the the, the state of New York's uh, voting map, uh, it is a red it's a red state, save for the New York City area, the Buffalo area. Uh, I mean, you, I mean, it's just we got this this southeastern armpit of the state that ruins everything. I wish we had an electoral college here in New York. Um, I, I know most people say, well, listen, cows can't vote, Frank. You're, you're talking about where the people are. Well, no, that's not necessarily true either. We're, we're, we're almost like 24 million people. There's only about 8 million people in, in uh, New York. God knows how many of them are actually citizens. So it's, uh, it's, it's a serious thing. That's why we always ask ourselves, what do we do? We really, re- we really retreat? Do we really? If you're living in West New York, you're definitely not retreating from that. Even though Albany is nuts and New York City controls a lot of things, but you're pretty well insulated. You're three and a half hours away from it all. What do you do? So it's a, it's a question a lot of people are asking. And um, me, I'm I'm just I'm. I'll tell you what it is. And this is a little bit more ridiculous over the top. But I'm really gauging whether or not we are going to be the uh, the test site for some kind of a nuclear uh engagement i don't know if somebody's going to drop a nuclear bomb or set it off under the water off the coast of the uh the sound i i don't know that's what i'm most worried about well if you had any illusions about these people having moral boundaries i hope they were shattered during the last two years of corona nonsense these are people who will ruin your life and tell you they're doing it because it's in your best interest. They will drop a nuke in your town and tell you that it was for the greater good. <laughs> like that, these, I, there is nothing... If these people decide that it is in their ideological interest to violate every right you have up to and including <laughs> radiating you into oblivion, they'll do it. Um, so yeah, that, that's another reason I hesitate to make the sort of predictions you were talking about. I... I what is the limiting principle here? At what point would they ever stop? I, I don't think it exists. I've never seen it. Well, let me. As far as limits and ethics goes, let's change topic just a little bit because I would love to sure. bring up something like this. It goes into and it does tie into a lot of the other things that we hear from 
I mean, I guess day to day, not even time to time anymore, day to day. This is this kind of transhumanist stuff that is being pushed out by the World Economic Forum, the 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 questions about where the human experience should be stretched out, how it could be uh I don't know, I should say amended uh, how it could be modified in any way, shape, or form, and of course, what systems are we plugging ourselves into? It's always plugging themselves ourselves into their systems. What kind of our what's our our footprint and all that stuff and managing the world? But they also do some other really weird things too that go into your personal lives. As you said before, um, they hated us so much that they actually weaponized our family with the whole COVID thing. It was a, a, a year, a two and a half years so far, long 9-11. It was a slow motion 9-11, and we were Al-Qaeda this time around. Your cousin could have been Al-Qaeda. You just don't know it. You better stay away from your cousin, and if he doesn't conform with all the, then, he, then he's the new Al-Qaeda. So that was the hard thing about it. And then you have these, these types of questions here about Amazon. Alexa and all this stuff, bringing in the voices of the dead. They want to clone the voices of dead relatives and 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 be able to make them available to read you books and 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 weird shit like that. It's such a morbid time that we're we're working into right now. Uh, in, any general thoughts on the um, I would say the, uh, the the meddling with the human form that you want to offer up before we get into this particular story? Oh, I was going to ask about the specifics of the story, but we can do that in a moment. Yeah. Um, but but I think that does connect to some of the prior corona nonsense we were talking about. One of the things that drove me nuts, and this is actually, this is what we talked about the first time I was on, which uh, was, what, late March or maybe early April of 2020. Wow. And I remember what you and I talked about way back then was Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor of Texas, was under all sorts. He was facing all kinds of criticism. Because he had the audacity to say, maybe it's not the best thing for us to try to preserve ourselves by going out and ruining everything that everybody else has. Maybe there's some merit to personal risk assessment here. And he had some commentary on fatherhood, too. I can't remember exactly what he said. But it was something like, you know, as a father, I could not in good conscience ask my children to make these devastating sacrifices on my behalf. And I thought that was so meaningful because fundamentally as fathers that is our job if it comes down to it and it's either a sacrifice of us including our lives for our children um that that's what we have to do and all of this stuff i guess the theme i'm getting at is there was just this irrational fear or refusal to even accept death as not just a possibility but an inevitability for everybody and i of course i recognize we shouldn't do things that bring death to us early you know we we should all strive for a long life long healthy life with a natural death that's the ideal but we all will die and the the refusal to accept that i think was part of the hysteria surrounding coronavirus and i'm sure it's part of the 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 bizarre products that end up being offered in this case where where if i understand it correctly they will they'll take a sampling of a a dead person they refer to the grandma, right? Yeah. They take a sampling. If you have a voice sample, like a audio recording, Alexa or Amazon's technology can take that and then make your dead grandma 
the voice of Alexa and can read to you or communicate with you in the same way Alexa would. Is that about right? Yeah, I can, it's, it's a very short read. I can read it right. But, you know, getting getting back to what you're saying about the Dan Patrick thing, now I'm remembering a lot more about that time that we spent with each other. I I can't believe it was that that early on in the uh, in the the experience, the COVID experience too. Yeah. I mean, that April was fresh. I remember in April of 2020, I had my parents over here to do a birthday stream with me, and because um, I was going to announce that the, you know, the we were pregnant, the baby was that was really about it. I didn't even care about my birthday, and it was supposed to be a surprise. And I remember us talking about these ideas. Like my father said something like, "I can't wait." for the party i can't wait for the party that when it's all over and thinking to myself yeah that's going to be a great day thinking that that day would actually come uh, i i knew that this was there was at that point there was this was being they were throwing a saddle on this one and they were going to use it for whatever they could but i i, I thought it was going to be eventually like a you know a vj day where you know the, the, every all of a sudden it's gone and we can go back and and have a a, a giant party in Times Square because the war is over, but that just obviously never came because it's mutating into monkey shit and all whatever. But in, anyway, um, there was also I remember at that time not only Dan Patrick but there was somebody a regular lawyer like a local lawyer from Los Angeles who was put on blast and doxed on um, on Twitter for saying uh, something along the same lines, that, that uh, you know what, the old and the sick, they should stay home. The young should go out and work. There, there's, if this is really what it is, this, this, and uh, it was so, um, I don't know, very, very weird to see people, as you say, react so violent or viciously about something so practical. That's why I always, I always call uh, liberals and the, the status types the party of Anakin Skywalker. They they want to reverse and and avoid death so much that they actually become the thing that they hated the most, and yeah. they they end up destroying everybody along the way. They 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 offer up all common sense, and then we just start getting very weird, um, pod living bugs eating bugs. They literally are trying to live like Renfield from Dracula, and um, I, I just uh, where do we go? Well, let's read this real quick. Here it is. Yes, uh, why, why Alexa's Dead Grandma just uh, is just the beginning for voice cloning. Earlier this summer uh, at the uh, Mars conference, an Amazon-hosted event focused on machine learning, automation, robotics at space, blah, blah, blah. They, uh, they aimed to wow audiences with a paranormal parlor trick, speaking the dead, speaking with the dead. Quote, while the AI can't eliminate the pain of loss, it can definitely make their memories last, he said, before showing a short video that starts with an adorable boy asking Alexa, can grandma finish reading me The Wizard of Oz? First of all, the MK Ultra implications of Wizard of Oz in this bullshit and Google and all that is ridiculous. But secondly... I know the pain of loss very bad. There is nothing about an artificially generated sound of my grandmother's voice that is going to make me feel better at all. What, I mean, yeah. who, who would be comforted by this? Yeah, I'm glad you made that point because that was my that was exactly what I was thinking too. Is uh, does this actually uh, help the pain? If I have some artificial robotic recreation, it's like going to a wax museum and seeing my loved one recreated oh, yeah. life size or something like that. It's that's not the person. That's an artificial recreation, and I get I, I understand that the preservation of memories is worthwhile, but th- that's the point. It's not 
a memory, even if it sounds like them, it's it's a recreation, it's artificial, it's it's not real. And th- there's again, it's it's about it, to me it just strikes me as like the refusal or the denial of death itself. It's going to happen to everybody. Part of what that means while we're still here is accepting when that happens to someone you love and and being able to find purpose and meaning in that. Being able to move past it without forgetting what that person meant to you and what their contribution to your life was. But I don't need I don't need an Amazon digital recreation because nothing about what I shared with that person was uh, was some technology by Amazon Inc. You know, it was it was a real human experience, uh, which can't be manufactured in that way. But we're gonna try. It also, it all. I think also thing, Matt. As uh, as we press on here, I think that the other thing that it prevents us from doing is moving on, and uh, moving on doesn't mean forgetting. Um, yeah. You know, it's just it's just one of those things where you, we have to be the ones who are now reading the books for ourselves and for the people after that come after us. And I, I just feel like everything that we are dealing with and all the great ideas that are supposed to be humanitarian in nature and egalitarian and making everything equal, it is just consistently designed to keep people in some kind of a dependent infantile state. And, um, and, and you, yeah. can ju- you can just tell by the quality of the debates that we have. It's not debates. It's just yeah. children screaming at each other constantly. Well, and you think, I guess I'm thinking about this, too, from the perspective of the survivor mourning the person lost. But now I'm thinking about it as what happens when I die? You know, do, do I, speaking of the dependence and the mourning for me, do I want to be remembered? Do I hope that I make a contribution to my family and to, you know, the rest of society? Of course. Do I want people to sit around and look at some hologram version of me and not move on? Uh, with their own lives once my time has passed. I would never want that in my own memory. That just seems like I would feel, I don't know. I just, I would feel like I'm contributing to the dependency of others in the way that you're describing. I don't want to be that for other people. I want to contribute, but I don't want you dependent on me in the way that you're talking about. Certainly if it's achieved through Amazon or whoever else. Yeah, and we also know that there is a hive mind that is forming around this this uh, technology, and yeah. and God knows what Alexa or anybody else would make Grandma say, or I mean, yeah. <laughs> seriously, I, I mean the, the the fact that Grandma can start talking while you're asleep, subconsciously, <sighs> in your that's just that's fucked up, dude. That, I yeah. mean, think about this because as far as data collection goes everything people have these watches on all the time the computers start knowing where i remember i started getting freaked out that i started disabling a lot of things on the phone obviously you can only go so far but i remember leaving the studio a couple of years ago and it would be around i don't know i'd get off the air at nine and sometimes i'd leave around nine twenty, nine fifteen. but around the same time every day when I'm walking out the front door of the studio, my phone would say, you are five minutes from home. And, and, and say, <laughs> well, thank you for yeah, the notification. Yeah. You're only five minutes from home. The traffic is fine. Like, it knew I was yeah. leaving. So you're telling me that of all the, 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 the data that they are collecting from us and in the, the times where we are just absent with our phone, obviously we're sleeping, they understand when we're unconscious. And, and to have anything in the in the uh, in the room that can come alive and talk to me in an unconscious state through a, a familiar voice, 
that would be that's that's the makings of some nightmarish schemes. Yeah, there's um, I I think kind of an underreported Fourth Amendment angle on all of that too, because you know it's one thing when we all have our phones and you might like the convenience of the location data, you willingly give it to Facebook or whoever they sell it to advertisers. You get an ad because of it. You're aware of all that and you don't object to it. You consent to it. Fair enough. That's fine. But the government has become a purchaser of that data. I've, I've found that story to be so interesting over the last couple of years. They don't need a warrant. They're just a consumer of the data like anybody else. They buy it, and strictly speaking, it's anonymized. So they can't see Frank. They can't see Matt. But if they know a thing or two about Frank, like Frank leaves the studio at 9.15 every night, they might be able to find a dot that sort of matches that pattern simply by piecing together other easily obtainable information the government itself can spy on you through this stuff very very easily and i'm sure they actually have mechanisms that we're not uh, aware of at all this is just the way they do it uh as they they take your money to buy your data to follow you that, oh yeah that's what we're dealing with and it's sort of a gray area of the fourth amendment right now because there's no warrant involved not only that fourth amendment but i remember it was it, it, it was it was pre-pandemic. I think it was like 2018 or 19 is when the stories started coming out in, in bunches. Newsweek did one of them, I remember. Um, they started coming out in bunches that uh, Alexa, Amazon uh, employees, and Alexa was capturing people having sex. Like, it, it, like oh, so. Yeah. So yeah. You, you have these. You have these little uh, pieces of technology that are, are in a semi-dormant state waiting for you to bark a command at it, there's obviously something that is still alive and waiting. Yeah. You know, it has to be it has to be active. So yeah. for a Fourth Amendment, I mean, damn, 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 damn. It's all, uh, and who knows, we already heard that the, I, I forgot, it might have been local or even government law enforcement was starting to um, obtain door cam footage hmm. to to prosecute people and they're taking door cam footage from people and just acquiring it at willy-nilly and uh it's all around us man it, it just really is it really is i, I was so they weren't they weren't given it as part of an investigation they just grabbed it from some, like they grabbed it from say rings cloud or something like that how did they get it let's see hold on a second Amazon Ring, this is from July 13th. Amazon gave Ring videos to police without owner's permission. This is Politico. Um, The revelation, let's see here. The revelation highlights the many ways that police can get footage from Ring doorbells and how often it happens without consent. This was uh, from just a couple of weeks ago. And let me see where it's from. Revelation came in a letter. Amazon sent to Senator Ed Markey on July 1st after lawmaker questioned the video doorbell surveillance practices in June. Markey released a letter to public on Wednesday. So it, it, these, these are the little tiny stories. Then again, we're, we're so buried underneath this. You remember all the, 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 the days we were talking about PRISM and, and uh, trap wire and all of the gate recognition and stuff like that? To have little tiny webcams on a front door to catch uh, package thieves... That's just that's just a cherry on top of what's is what's staring at us all day. And there's all kinds of creepy stuff that's been done with uh, baby monitor setups. You know, we 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 have been very conflicted about what system to potentially adopt ourselves uh, because when you put cameras and microphones and things in places and they're connected to the internet, 
um, people who you know, it. A lot of times it's not as malicious as, say, some big corporate or, or big government actor. It's just a guy who knows a thing or two about vulnerabilities in certain tech systems, and he can get into that. I've heard stories about um, those things being hacked and people actually being able to communicate with the child. Jeez. You know, some, some creeper gets into your system and can actually send an audio signal to the kid through, the, through certain systems. So, I, and, I, and, you know, and monitor the kid by video or whatever they want to do. I have rarely even used the the voice option with Aurora, Matt. Uh, we don't even do that. When she starts chatting and stuff, we just walk in and, or we knock and whatever. And we, But I, I wouldn't even want a voice coming through a speaker if I was a child from the sky. That's weird. I, and we will not be doing any of it. This is only her second, um, no, her third, her third Christmas coming up. But we will never be doing any of that elf on the shelf nonsense. Never. Well, what's that about? You, you, I don't. Well, you know, the, you and Lil never I'm familiar seen, with the memes, but what is? I guess I don't know what the elf on the shelf actually is. The elf is it on a the, product? It, oh yeah, it's an actual oh. elf that they put on the shelf. That's supposed to be like you know a fun little way of saying the elf. Uh, be good. You know, the elf is around and he talks to Santa and all that stuff. But I mean, that's just. That's just. But it's not like a digital thing. He's just like a figurine. No, I don't. I don't think that, that it's packed. I don't okay. think it's packed full of technology. But it's just grooming a child to to accept constant surveillance is something. Got it. That All that's right. just one less thing you'll get. Although some of them seem to to like it. The elf shows up on a different shelf every year, every day. All of a sudden, okay. they're on a couch. And how did he move? Oh, I don't know. He must have came alive. But I don't. Uh, I think it's creepy. Well, that that's an interesting topic of of fatherhood too, and and of course my son's not quite old enough to get it. But one thing I think about is what are the appropriate lines between sort of um, like a, a fun children's fantasy and mysticism versus teaching my son the truth. Like how how deep do I want to go into tooth fairy into Santa Claus, and I don't mean to offend anybody out there who may not have confronted those things yet. Um, I don't mean to insult the Tooth Fairy or Santa Claus or anything like that. But I guess what I'm saying is, we, as parents, we all indulge in a little bit of childhood fantasy for fun. What are the appropriate lines and boundaries on that so that you don't create a child that's overly indulged in that sort of thing? I, I, I know, I know. I, I've thought about it a little bit there too, and. I'm uh I don't know I I think I'll I think whenever I think whenever I start encountering this because I'm a year ahead of you, whenever I start encountering this I'll just let you know what I've been what I've been doing and and how to how how I've kind of set her up for future revelations to make the logic consistent. I, I'm yeah. I'm all about making the logic consistent about the spirit of certain things and and about you know our our place in in uh, in life and. That, that's just really what it is. So as long as the logic is consistent, I'll make sure that the right. the magic is still there. But I don't think I'm doing Tooth Fairy at all. I'll talk to Lauren about it, but I think it's... I I don't know. I think it's stupid. I, I would be cool with, hey, hey, you know what? Nope. Hey, you give me your tooth, and I'll give you this $5 bill. And there you go. And and that's fun. But, eh. I guess what I'm so worried about is just the the forces of power in the world are... they They seize on people's vulnerability to fantasy. You know, but then again, fantasy is part of a great childhood. So I go back and forth, and 
I'm worried that you know, as soon as he's talking, I'm going to say, listen, kid, the tooth fairy is fake. Santa Claus isn't real. Whatever they tell you, the opposite is true. Don't believe anything you hear from anybody but me. And actually question everything you hear from me, too. Am I going to go too far into that uh, with a small toddler such that he never has a childhood either? No, I would no, need no. to do that. No, but... you've, you've, no, no, no. You, you've, got, yeah. you've got to be overly goofy for the next mm. four or five years. You have to, you have to give yourself up to a... A uh, a care for a care a careless sense of goofiness. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. Don't. There's 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 more than enough time to be serious. That's uh. You know. Just uh. Keep in mind that one day you're going to have to slowly bring the boil down to a simmer and just yeah. keep the fun transition the fun into a little bit more mature lines of fun and that's what I just think about. But you know we'll cross those bridges when we come to it. Matt, please. Let everybody know what your broadcast schedule is, how they can find you, and uh, and what you got coming up. Because I can't um, I can't think of a better thing to do than to have you back sometime in the fall and to keep this up, and not do it every two years. Yeah, sure. We should at, at bare minimum we should probably uh, get together around uh, election time because oh. that ought to be fun. Hell yeah! Um, it's either going to be the drumming that is deserved, or it's going to be so fortified. A miraculous evening for Nancy Pelosi and company. Either way, it's going to be highly entertaining. So that might be a fun opportunity. But uh, if people are interested in finding my stuff, it is all at mattchristensenmedia.com. Last name is long, hard to spell, but it's Christian like the religion, S-E-N. mattchristensenmedia.com. I'm posting a couple of uh, individual short breakdown videos a week that are single topic focused. Uh, and then I do uh, my Sunday night stream with my co-host Blonde, and we have a guest here or there mixed in, and we're doing kind of like we're doing right now, breaking down the news of the week and having fun with our audience. Uh, and then we also do a call-in show on Wednesday night where we we take calls from. I knew I knew and, you did one one yeah. weekend show, weeknight show. I knew that. Yeah, the uh, the obviously the Wednesday show tends to be much more. I mean, that's totally controlled by the audience. Talk about whatever you want to talk about. So as you're familiar with, that's very free-flowing that's very you you'll you'll get a lot of uh off-topic material on that one well um but yeah mattchristensenmedia.com if you're interested in finding my stuff well i hope that a lot of people go on over there but we we probably have a lot of uh a lot of overlap anyway you're a good friend matt and and listen if you and blonde ever are short on a guest on a sunday for a a half hour segment you let me know because i have never had a conversation with her and i wanted to uh congratulate her in in uh in person for because I, I filled in for her when she was having the baby, right? You were part of show history in that <laughs> way. Yeah, you're right. Um, and her daughter is now a, uh, a happy, healthy two-year-old. So Wow. Yeah, things are going great for her as well. Well, listen, all the best to you, the son, Lily, and we'll talk soon, my friend. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks all for right. having me. Take care. Bye.